This evening to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I guess if I had a title for this section, it would be The Search Continues, because that's basically what it's all about, just a continuation of what's been happening with Solomon. Looking back at what has transpired so far, we see that in his search for meaning and trying to find satisfaction through education and philosophy has been a flop. It has failed miserably. So having experienced that, Solomon now turns his attention to other things, and in these verses he gives us a list of the things that he tried and as we see these, you're going to realize quickly that these are the same things people are trying today. None of that has changed one bit. What he tried is exactly what people are trying today. And in the first two verses, he, he tells us what his intent was, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but in a word, the intent was to find pleasure. He wanted to enjoy life and uh, his serious studies and his philosophical pursuits has failed. And so now he's decided I'll bring in the clowns. Party hardy. Paint the town red. The new philosophy now is if it feels good, do it. That, that's, that's his way of thinking at this particular moment. And so uh, he did. You know, it's one thing to think about that. It's another thing to do it, and he did it. He, he made a no-hose-barred effort to find something under the sun that would finally satisfy. Now, keep in mind that Solomon had an unlimited bank account and total authority. You know, some folks are restrained from certain evils because, well, it might be because of a lack of money, it might be because of a lack of popularity or a number of other things that, that causes them to never have the occasion to, to, to do what others might do. Sometimes we look at celebrities, and I think, uh, I think even of some of the famous, uh, I, I didn't say good, I said famous preachers, you know, in the last 50 years and the many, many that I've seen fall that you know about. It's been on TV, and they have failed miserably. We look at that, and, and naturally it's awful, it's a horrible, it's a terrible thing. But let me tell you, the only reason some others have not failed to that extent and in that way has been because they didn't have that popularity and they didn't have that money. Those things were not available to them. And so they were able to avoid those particular pitfalls, not necessarily because they wanted to, but, well, because they had to. But here's a guy that has an unlimited bank account, total authority, and being the king, he is not accountable to anyone else. He can do whatever he pleases, and he did, but he wasn't pleased. He could do whatever he pleased, but it did not please him. And he tells us right up front that his efforts were all in vain. So as we consider this section tonight, there are three things uh, that I want you to see. 
uh, in verses 1 and 2, here we see the source of his ideology. The source of his ideology. Verse 3 through 10 has to do with the sins in which he indulged. And then in verse 11, he speaks about the sorrow that he incurred. So those are the three lines of thought that we find in this section. And the first being, in the first two verses, the source of his ideology. What prompted Solomon to do what he did? In other words, where did he get these ideas? And I want you to notice that he didn't blame anyone else. Uh, for putting it in his mind. He didn't accuse them of causing him to go astray. Notice in verse 1, he tells us that the, the ideas all originated with him. Quote, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. You could say this is his mission statement, basically, which would be to enjoy pleasure. That's the mission that he was on. That's what he decided that he was going to live for. And when philosophy had failed, he turns to pleasure for the answer. You know, that reminds us that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Isn't that? He said, I said in mine heart, this is where it all went astray. And that's exactly what Jesus told us many years later. It's from the heart, you know, that we speak. It, everything originates from our heart. And so Solomon's search for pleasure and all of the various routes he took, all of those were his own ideas. You know, it might have been wise had he consulted history, you know, or to consider the, the tragic events in his father's life. Boy, that would have taught him some important lessons. Or it might be that he could have sought the counsel of others, but he has done none of those things. He's not looking back on history and learning from it what sin has done to others. He's not even observing what happened to his daddy He's not seeking anyone else's counsel. He just took it upon himself that I'm going to make pleasure my pursuit. And you know there resides, I think, in every one of us this tendency to make foolish and harmful decisions. You know, I'm talking about something more than the potential to do that. I'm talking about the propensity to do that. I think it's ingrained in our sinful nature that we have the propensity to, well, maybe it'd be better to say we have a self-destruct button in our heart. And there's always something going on that's daring us to push that button. And that's what Solomon did. And uh, we'd do ourselves a big, big favor if we would consider the experiences of other people and uh, or seek the, the counsel of people that are wiser than we are before we embark on some course of action. You know, those that have already traveled down the road, a lot of times they can give us good information. Amen. To mom and dad. You know, mom and dad might not have a higher IQ than you. It might be that mom and dad never graduated from 
high school, maybe they never went to college, it might seem like you've reached that point in your life that you feel like you're just a whole lot smarter than they are, and you might be in a lot of ways, but one thing you don't have that they've got, and that's experience. They've already been down that road, and they care about you, and they're trying to warn you to shun those things that they know will be destructive to your life. So Solomon is actually warning us at this point. Notice in the very first verse, it said, Behold, this also is vanity. There's your warning right there from someone who has tried all of these things. Now, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? So Now, notice here that laughter and mirth are personified. And that's a common thing in the Bible, just as wisdom is personified. Here we find that mirth and laughter, he's talking about it as though, as though they were people. And he's telling us here that, that laughter is foolish and that mirth, well, it can't really accomplish anything. And the point is that neither one of those things are helpful when it comes to securing what he sought and what people are looking for today. They make promises that they cannot keep. They promise satisfaction, but they're not able to deliver. And, 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 you know, we should have known better. We think about other verses of Scripture in Proverbs 14 and verse 13. says, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Now, don't misunderstand. Fun and games, when they're kept in their proper place, whenever they're kept in balance, are, are well and good. That, that's fine. They can even be profitable because everybody needs a little R&R at times. But if we think they're going to provide lasting satisfaction, we're just kidding ourselves. Amen. As I was thinking about this verse this week and I thought back years and years ago, you know, um, of course, we didn't have a television set. All we had was a radio, and the most common thing was to play games, and the most common game was a card game of some kind. It might be Rook, or it might be something else, but uh, families just did that a lot. And I can remember even when Bev and I got married, it was so common. Uh, you get a bunch of people together and play card games, you know. And there's certainly nothing sinful about doing something like that. And we all need a time of rest and relaxation. But we've got to remember that's not the answer to trying to find what we're looking for. If you don't believe it, just look at America today. We, we live in a world that has gone absolutely crazy over entertainment and sports. And it, has, it hasn't made us happy in fact, you know, if, if your team isn't winning, all it does is to make you miserable, you see, and yet uh, people cling to that. Instead of it serving as, you know, just maybe a momentary diversion to help us kick back and relax and to regain our strength, we, some, have made it their very purpose for living. You know, and as innocent as, as it might be when kept in its proper balance, it literally becomes an idol that some people worship. We have entire television stations that are dedicated to broadcasting nothing but sports news. Others are dedicated to nothing but, you know, the so-called entertainment industry, you know, just music or whatever. And whenever you look around, everywhere you turn, 
there's something designed by man that, that trying to make us laugh that supposedly can help us enjoy life. Every day, millions turn into TV. They're hoping to find something that's new, something fun, something that's exciting, something that's pleasurable. And, and uh, yet, we just come back disappointed every time, don't we? Think about all of the comedy clubs. I've never been to a comedy club, but, uh, but, but every big major city has comedy clubs. And, and I'm not against comedy, by the way. I know some people think I, I remember one of my children telling me a long time ago, <laughs> Dad, you don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> I won't tell you who that was. And, 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 and maybe I don't to the extent that some people, but I do enjoy life. I, 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 I do, but, but boy, some people are just giddy about everything under the sun, you know. And uh, uh, having a comedy club, I'm going to go to a comedy club tonight. I, I, I just can't see that being the, the way I would want to spend an evening myself. But, you know, that's all right, I guess. Until it gets to be an obsession. And by the way, that obsession might not be with the comedy club. It might not be going to concerts. It could be deer hunting, fellas. It could be bass fishing. It could be anything like that that diverts our attention away from the things that we ought to be doing because all of a sudden we're giving our time and our effort and even our money to those things that are of no spiritual value whatsoever. And it's easy to look around in America today and see what most Americans value the most. And, and it's not God. It's not God. That's very clear because we keep pouring our time, money, and energy into all of these other things and we're not one bit better off for it and uh, you know if, if you think all of all of this has made us happy fulfilled and content then you've missed the boat because we are empty we are hollow and dissatisfied and still searching for something more in life today that's exactly the way it was with Solomon well we come to verse 3 now and the second thing that we need to notice in this section and that is the sins in which he indulged. And he's not pulling any punches. He's being honest in his assessment of these things. And he enumerates the particular sins that he was engaged in. Remember, philosophy has failed. Pleasure has failed to provide what he was looking for. So he decides, well, I'll just party. And as we follow him on this journey, again, you're going to notice he didn't find anything that would satisfy but notice, again, I say it's the same today. We just don't seem to learn anything. So notice what he says. Verse 3, the first thing he mentions is wine. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. That seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? And to lay hold on folly. What? Uh, to lay hold on folly uh, he's going all out for it till I might see what was that good for the sons of men 
which they should do under the heaven all of the days of their life. So now he's turned from laughter to liquor, from amusement to alcohol. And pay attention to the wording of this verse because Solomon is not saying, I am so discouraged that I'm just going to get drunk and forget all my problems. That's not what he's saying at all here. He, remember, he's conducting an experiment. And he's going to see if alcohol will satisfy his cravings. And he planned to do so while conducting himself according to wisdom. So this idea is that he planned to drink and yet maintain control. You listening? He says, in essence, what every alcoholic says at the beginning. I can handle it. I can stop anytime I want to. Oh, it won't hurt me. Man, I can hold my liquor. No one ever set out to become an alcoholic. Nobody. They never intend for that to happen. They start with the attitude that I just described and even after the long, destructive history of alcohol, people still insist on experiencing it for themselves. Well, I know Dad and Mom told me that I ought not to ever touch alcohol and what have you, but, but you know, everybody at school, they're doing it, or they smoke a joint now and then, and so I, I believe everybody ought to at least try it and see what it's like. Don't ever fall for that stupid line of reasoning. Even with all of the harm that we see alcohol cause, people have the idea that I'll be the exception to the rule. Uh, why do we do that whenever the Bible warns us repeatedly over and over and over again, the Bible warns us about the dangers of alcohol. And even with all of the lives that have been ruined, all of the families that have been destroyed, all of the lives that have been lost, people just keep doing it. They ignore all of that, just like Solomon. Well, he tried wine. That didn't work. Now look at verse number 4, down through verse 7. Here's the second, the second sin that he mentions, and that's works. That might seem strange, but you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Verse 7, I made me great works. I built me houses, that's plural. I planted me vineyards, and I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. And I made me pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of, of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Now he's turned from, from partying now to projects. He's turned from that which was destructive to something that he thought was constructive. In other words, he's turned from booze to building. From, he turned away from, from alcohol to agriculture and architecture. Going to build stuff now, plant stuff. And he, he didn't just build a house, he, he built houses. And by the way, among those houses he built was his personal palace. It took 13 years to build. And then he also built the house. It's called in the Bible the house of the force of Lebanon. It was 180 foot long, 90 foot wide, 55 foot high. 
nice little summer house. <laughs> and in addition to these houses, notice he tells us I planted vineyards and gardens and orchards. And naturally, all of that needed water, and so he embarked on a complex irrigation system now because you've got to get water to those things so they'll grow. So he creates this massive irrigation system. That all required a lot of work, right? You've got to have water, you irrigate. You've got to, all this work to do, well, you've got to have workers. So he increased the number of his servants and his cattle, and all of this was beyond anything that anyone could imagine. And uh, the Bible speaks about it in First Kings chapter number 4, and it was so great that the queen of Sheba was absolutely breathless. She had never seen or heard of anything to equal the greatness, so-called greatness, of Solomon. But as impressive as all of that was, Solomon was still left unsatisfied. And I want you to know it can't satisfy you and I either. Regardless of what we do by way of those things, building houses, landscaping our, our lawns, planting a garden, all of those things are well and good. There's nothing sinful in any of those things unless we go to the extreme, which is exactly what a lot of people do. But the point is, it'll not satisfy. It'll not satisfy what you're looking for in life. You know, God didn't put us here to spend all of our time in the pursuit of things like that. Because why? We have better things to do. Amen. Hobbies are fine, as I've already talked about. Not anything wrong with that. But when they become an obsession, they distract us from what our main mission in life ought to be. And that's when sinless things become sinful. So let me show you why Solomon failed to find satisfaction in all of this. Now, I want you to notice in these verses that we just read how many times he uses the word me. In four verses, he uses the word me seven times. That tells us his attention was on self. It wasn't on God. It wasn't on others. His attention was, was, was set on himself. And by the way, that never leads us to happiness. Amen. Just thinking about ourselves. So, uh, wine didn't work. I mean, we should have known that it wouldn't, and he tried that, and works didn't work. Now, verse 8 and 9, he tells us he tried wealth. Verse 8, I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and, and the provinces. I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem and also my wisdom remained with me. Well, a lot of people would disagree with that. So now he's moving from projects to possessions. You know, and uh, I'm, why would anyone want more than what Solomon had, right? But that's exactly the way it is because regardless of how much they get, they always want more. Yeah. 
because it never satisfies. And notice that in spite of this vast fortune that he had, he still has that desire to be entertained. And boy, he noticed, I, I got men singers and women singers and boy, all of these different musical instruments. I mean, he wasn't satisfied with a little three-piece country music band. I mean, boy, he brought in the whole orchestra and he has the big choirs and everything else. And then he says there in verse 9, so I was great. <laughs> and in terms of power, prestige, possessions, and pleasure, and according to all of that, in the eyes of the world, he's great. Just look at what that man has done. But it was all to no avail because he's still miserable. He still had that empty, hollow feeling inside. But he's still experimenting. Maybe there's something else. So verse 10, he tried women. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all of my labor, and this was my portion of all of my labor. So now he is shifting his project from possessions to promiscuity. In other words, it's down and dirty now, it's, and that's exactly the way sin is. And we wonder sometimes how we ever got to where we are in the world today. And it's because sin never satisfies. You know, we think there are certain things going on in the world today that are common knowledge and acceptable practice when I was a boy, there's certain words that you didn't even mention, certain subjects you did not even talk about. Oh, you knew, you knew that it existed, but you, you just, it was so vile, so filthy, so awful that nobody even wanted to talk about those things. And all of a sudden, folks started coming out of the closet, as it were, and now we see exactly where that's at. Why is that? Why is it that people have gone from as terrible as, as, as an affair is and what have you, and when you look back, and boy, I, I can remember the neighborhood that I grew up in. I can't remember. I really don't remember or know of any family that, was, uh, that ever got a divorce. Not, not a single one. Oh, I have one good friend who whose family came from Kansas City and his mom and dad were divorced and really that's the only thing I knew about. And whenever young people get the idea that, you know, they can get out here and fool around and that, you know, that'll, that'll finally satisfy that yearning in their heart and then it goes to some other, some other sick experiment in sex and it just goes lower and lower and worse and worse and this is the path that this guy is on we live in a sex saturated society today and morality in america is at all-time low and there's no signs that it's going to get any better and solomon himself warned us about that in proverbs chapter number six if you'll read especially about verse number 20 through the end of that chapter that, that's all a warning about, uh, about illicit sex. And uh, warning, uh, the, the same kind of warning that 
that his daddy should have listened to, by the way, and that ruined his life. But people still refuse to heed what he says and what we've seen with our own eyes even today. Well, that brings us down to the third thing about this section, and that's in verse 11, and that's the sorrow that he incurred. Notice, then, how sad. He's tried all of those things that we've been talking about. Then, then I looked on all of the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Here is a man that took one path after another, and all of them ended up in the same place, a dead end. And regardless of how intently he searched for satisfaction, he can't find anything except sorrow. That's where it all ends up. And that's the way it is when you're living a life with the under-the-sun philosophy. Hedonism can't, can't help. Some people have tried to drag hedonism over into Christianity, and they even have spoken about spiritual hedonism, that, that it's happiness, you know, God wants us to be happy. Certainly God wants us to have joy unspeakable and full of glory, but it's, look, it's never to be our mission in life to create this kind of happiness that the world is looking for. And the more that we try to please ourselves, the more miserable that we become. Admittedly, there is a certain sense and a certain degree of pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. It's just for a season. It, it provides a certain amount of satisfaction that is to the old sinful fleshly nature. But it's just for a while. After that, after that first sweet sip of sin, it be, becomes the bitter dregs there in the bottom of the cup. It always ends up that way. Amen. It does so because we violate the, the, the universal law of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow, and the consequences of sin are always painful, not pleasurable we end up hurting ourselves we hit that self-destruct button that i spoke about in the very beginning but you know the sad thing about it is we don't just hurt ourselves we end up hurting others also that you know if we could just if we could sin and nobody else was affected by it that you know, that'd be bad. It'd be awful. It'd be terrible because sin is against God. That makes it awful. It's terrible. But that would be one thing, but it's a whole different thing when our sin in some way affects others. And let me tell you, your sin affects all of those that know you and love you. You say, what I do with my life is my business. It's not their business. You know, if I, if I want to ruin my life, nobody's got a right to tell me what to do. It's nobody affected but me, and that's exactly where you're wrong because it affects your parents. It breaks their heart. It tears them down. They, they die of a broken heart because of the rebellion of a wayward son or daughter. Years ago, I preached numerous revival meetings in Lubbock, Texas. 
and uh, it, it seems like that there for a long time I was I was there more than I was in any other place because it was almost an annual thing where I would go there. And I thought about that driving over here, and the radio was on, and lo and behold, Buddy Holly and the crickets came on. I, I'm guilty. We do listen sometimes to the 50s music on there, yeah. Well, Buddy Holly and the critic, crit, crickets came on. And over the years, i become I become good friends with Mrs. Holly and and with Buddy's two brothers, they they were rock solid in the church there. They loved the Lord with all of their heart. And every year when I would go there, Mrs. Holly would have have me and the pastor in the home, and and the brothers would be there. And uh, you know, we tried to keep Buddy out of the out of the conversation in one way. But how how do you not talk about the fame of the fame of your son because the only thing bigger than Buddy Holly was Elvis Presley and if he hadn't died many predicted that he would have he would have been the king of rock and roll and was hard to get more famous than Buddy Holly was but boy I've heard the sad story the pastor Brother Bynum at, at, at one time he had been the youth pastor Buddy Holly's youth pastor and this is back whenever he was just a, a young boy and, and, and he, he told me about the time of trying to get Buddy back in church. And Buddy, you know, and his band, they were just really hitting it off and, and just doing, you know, great things in their mind. Boy, it really seemed like he had everything in the world going for him. But boy, when you sat there, when you sat there, in the home of his mother and you see the tears in her eyes even after he'd been dead all of those years and you talk to the brothers and you learn the story about the, the broken life and uh, the broken marriage that buddy left behind when he died and how sad it is that he listen he set out on that journey trying to satisfy some yearning in his heart and it never did. But, but worse than that is, it literally crushed his mother and his family. It just basically destroyed them emotionally. I want you to think about that. Whenever we think about going down this same road that Solomon took and we're going to try this or, oh, that other, we'd never do that other one, you know, but... There's certain one of those sins maybe that we would focus on. It doesn't make any difference what the nature of the sin is. If it's sin, it's going to cause pain. It's going to hurt you, and it's going to harm other people. And most of all, it grieves the heart of God. That's the most horrible thing about sin is what it does to the heart of God. He is grieved to think. That we, would, that we would slough off all of the warnings, that we would ignore all of the advice, the wise counsel that he has given us, and we'd go down, down some other road of our own choosing. And all of the time, thinking that we might just find pleasure in our sin. Don't ever buy into that lie. It it doesn't pay. 
Sin will cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll destroy your life. And so I hope that all of us learn something because you know, it might be that Solomon didn't name the particular sin that is in your life and I didn't say anything about it. Doesn't make any difference what it is. It all ends up in the same place. You'll never be satisfied. The only way to find real satisfaction is in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies the yearning of our heart. Let's bow. Father, again tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the warnings that it provides. We thank you for the wise counsel that it gives. And we thank you, Lord, for the strength that it imparts, for the great power of, of, of the scriptures that have a way of, of changing us and helping us even, well, even when at the time we don't realize what's going on. And yet, just by being exposed to it, all of a sudden, in some way, you use that to give us strength that maybe we never even imagined. And I pray tonight that you'll help someone with whatever it is they're struggling with. Lord, that you'll give them the victory. Bless us now, Lord, as we extend this invitation and as we leave this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.